Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 22 to 23. Short little, short little uh, uh, snippet right here, but uh, super powerful. It's sandwiched between two things that get talked a lot about, and this kind of gets overlooked as you read the Gospels. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 to 23. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me, and it says this, Jesus speaking, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Today as we continue on in our series, The Violence of Good, I want to speak to you from the subject, just yelp it. Just yelp it. As we deal with having a critical spirit about our lives. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and it's active and it's powerful. Teach us right now in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You've heard my disdain for Yelp. It's a constant argument between me and my wife. And she loves to Yelp everything. And, um, and uh, we were at a restaurant just a little while ago. And how many of you, show of hands, just a therapeutic moment. How many of you have had a bad experience at a restaurant before? Your bad experience at a restaurant. Most, most of us have. Um, and so quickly you decide what restaurants are your favorite and what restaurants are not your favorite. And so this particular experience that we had was, was one that she was kind of frustrated about some things and, and, uh, and didn't like some of the food that had come out. And I'm pretty easy to please, so I thought everything was pretty good in and of itself. But uh, as we were talking about it, she was like, no, that was horrible. Now she's convincing me that it's horrible. Have you ever done that before? The other person with you is like, ah, that was that bad? She's like, no, it was awful, right? I was like, calm down, chill. And so, uh, so we're sitting there talking and everything like that. And then she said something to me. And, and my wife, she's not a, she's not a mean-spirited person by any means, okay? But she's like, we're going to yelp it. Because I love you. And, and then this is what she, she decided that in yelping, we were going to help the world not experience the same injustice that we had just experienced. So she was like indignant. We're going to yelp it. And it was right there in that moment that I felt like God just spoke to my heart. And it was this, this issue right here. Isn't it interesting? For a restaurant, for sure, I get it. In the service industry and, and stores and so on and so forth, we can yelp things and we can give our reviews. But isn't it an unfortunate thing that we have a tendency to yelp what God is doing? We think somehow we can bust our phones out and we can start giving the reviews that we want to do and give on behalf of ourselves as if, as if God needs our review. Come on, am I talking to anybody in church this morning? As if God needs our stars. As if God needs our thumb up or our heart emoji attached to what he is doing. And as you read this piece of scripture right here, this is what Jesus is dealing with. He's saying, listen, we either have bad eyes or we have good eyes. And depending on your eye, the way that you see things and perceive things, man, it's gonna, it's gonna cause us to live a life that's either critical or uplifting. It's not going to cause us to live a life that, that sees the good in what God is doing, that sees the good in our situations, even though they may be bad, that sees the good in our marriages, even though they may be struggling, sees the good in our friendships, in our relationships, and in our churches, and in our city, that sees things either critically, and we make comments on it, we review it, and we throw stars at it, or we're going to see things in a way that builds up. Here's the thing. Maybe this isn't so bad when it comes to restaurants and stores as they're providing a service. The problem is that we tend to take that same critical eye and apply it to people in the church. 
who by which are not providing any service for us. It's going to get quiet in church today again, isn't it? I do want to say this at the outset of this. This is going to be a surgical message. I want you to work with me in this message today. Next week, we're going to talk about forgiveness on purpose. (laughs) So if you're in here today and you're like, I hate that dude, just come back next week. I'll teach you how to forgive me, okay? You see, we're called to love people, which was established last week. If you weren't here last week, get on our podcast and check that out. We're called to be the church. But here's what I've come to realize. You can't be what you constantly critique. You can't be what you constantly critique. So it's right here that Jesus deals with the issue of our eyes, how we see things, perceive things, judge things, and view things. If our eye is healthy, then we see things healthfully. When our body, our heart is not, regardless of where we're at in life, if we see things healthfully, then we perceive things healthfully and we judge things healthfully, all right? Our body and our heart will be healthy. However, if our eye is bad, then our whole body and our heart will be bad. And I say heart because contained within Jesus' statement about the body, he is inherently talking and speaking about our heart. Let me shout heart. Our heart is important because it's connected to our mouth. (laughs) And the Bible tells us that our mouth speaks and reveals that which is in our heart. So bad eye, bad heart, bad heart, bad mouth, and the cycle continues. And I believe that the presence of a critical spirit in our lives and in our churches is one of the greatest issues that we face, and it seems to be one of the greatest sicknesses working to stifle the power and potency of the local church and Christ followers individually. I think it's dangerous for us. Now, let me say this. When I use the term critical spirit, I'm not talking about like demon possession, okay? I don't want you like walking out of here being like, oh, I have a critical spirit. Like, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? (laughs) What I'm talking about, this is this thing that's about us. It's a a heart posture, right? It's a mindset. It's, It's a bad eye or a good eye. And it's infecting our heart potentially. And so I want us to look at this, this issue this morning and deal with it because it's so important for us. Here's the definition that I found um, that the Biblical Counseling Coalition defined a critical spirit for us, because this is especially an issue when it comes to our relationships, our marriages, and our churches especially, okay? And so everyone who's in this room today, whether you're single, young, old, married, divorced, whatever it may be, you are a part of a church right now, you're part of a family, a community, right? You have relationships, you have marriages, and I'm going to especially speak today about some of those issues. You're going to hear how that plays out. Um, in in relationships. But here's the definition of a critical spirit. You ready to be hurt? Here it goes. A critical spirit is a negative attitude of the heart that seeks to condemn, tear down, and destroy with words. In contrast, constructive criticism, because I know some of us right now are wrestling though, oh, I'm just being, I'm just, I'm just giving a constructive criticism. No, you're not. Nine times out of ten, no, we're not. <laughs> Constructive criticism involves opinions that are meant to build up. A critical spirit creates blind spots in a person's heart and mind, causing them to believe that they are being constructive. Paul the Apostle would deal with this in Ephesians 14, or excuse me, Ephesians 4, 14 to 32. He would say this. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love 
by the proper working of each individual part. And then you fast forward to verse 29. Then he says this, no foul language should come from your mouth. Now right there, we have a tendency, especially as English-speaking Americans, that we think foul language, we automatically think expletives and four-letter words and things like that. That's not what Paul is dealing with here. He's saying that critical language. Now I'm not, that's not permission to go around using expletives everywhere, okay? You who drive on the freeway. Foul language, no critical language, no demeaning language, no derogatory language, no deafening language, no deceitful language, no destructive language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. And then watch what he says. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, except when you're teaching on Sunday, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. In other words, a critical spirit drops bombs while a constructive spirit builds up. Constructive, building up, destructive, critical, dropping bombs everywhere. Have you ever met that person? They just walk in, it's like, boop, boop, boop. It's happening everywhere. So Paul is saying that we're to be people who build up, not tear down. And we do this by how, how we see and what we say. I want to be the type of person, come on, somebody that builds up. I want to build up my kids. I want to build up my wife. I want to build up my friends. I want to build up this church. I want to build up our city. I want to build up the people around me. I want to be the type of person, have you ever got around that person before who is like, they, you know they're not dropping bombs, they're building up. They're like, they're, they're like the Lego, master Lego builder with their words and with their perspective. And you're like, oh, I feel so good about myself. Have you ever been around that person before? And you just want to be around them. That person's like, why are you so close? And you're just like, I just want to be around you, right? But have you ever got around that person before? They're negative, their, their outlook is negative, they drop bombs everywhere you go, and you're just like, oh, you're gross. <laughs> Critical spirit. You can sense it, you can feel it. I want to do good and affect change, and through the violence of goodness, I don't want to sit with the standard of the world, the status quo of the world by leveling people with critique and criticism, but rather I want my words to be saturated with grace, powered by love, and strengthened by the Spirit of God. Come on, is there anybody like that in church this morning? I want to live that type of life. So this is what I want us to hear today. If we don't hear anything else, hear this. We can't do good if we can't see good. We're doing this series, The Violence of Good. We can't do good unless we see good. And I know a lot of people in this world that have a tendency, they get all hyped and they're just like, yeah, I want to do good. I want to I be the change and I want to make a difference and I want to love people. And in the same breath, it's like, have you seen this person? Do you know this is going on? I can't believe this is happening. And the sun's not out today. <laughs> we can't do good if we can't see good, if we're negative, picky, preference-oriented, judgmental, and demeaning. There's no way that we can be the good that God desires us to be. And this issue will permeate every area and every sphere of our lives. So the Bible gives us, I'm gonna move through these really quick because I don't wanna spend a ton of time on them because I wanna get to our points. But the Bible gives us, I've got nine points this morning, guys. Um, so, so 
We have to move fast. If it, if it seems like I'm talking fast, um, it's because I am, all right? Um, <laughs> so here's some behaviors that are consistent. And try to find yourself in these. Like, can this just be a participatory message this morning? Try to find yourself here, all right? Some behaviors that are consistent with the critical spirit. And, uh, and, and, and to do this, I want to employ some perspective given to us by the Biblical Counseling Coalition as a reference list in order to recognize this issue. So these five issues right here that I'm going to deal with are four issues and then one of them's mine. But the first four, uh, this Biblical Counseling Coalition uh, put them out there. So I'm just quoting a lot of stuff right now because I like to read. Um, and it says that the first one's this, gossip. You might have a critical spirit if... This is a pretty simple definition. This is their definition. A gossiper is one who shares information that is not theirs to share and is usually based upon assumption and conjecture. The root issue behind this behavior, is one author put it, is this. Gossipers attempt to make themselves significant to the hearer by appearing to be the source of all knowledge. Surgical. Everybody look at me. Don't tap your neighbor. <laughs> 1 Timothy 5.13, at the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. They are not only idle, but are also gossip and busybodies, saying things that they shouldn't say. Proverbs 11, 11 through 13, a city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but is torn down by the mouth of the wicked. Whoever sows, uh, shows contempt for his neighbor lacks sense, but a person with understanding keeps silent. That's crazy right there. A gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. All right? And it's still gossip if you preface it with, I was praying the other day. <laughs> Let's just be honest about that. <laughs> Sorry. Forgiveness. We're talking about it next week. <laughs> the second behavior that we see is slander. Slander. A slander is a person who makes false statements in order to damage a person's reputation. She doesn't care about the truth. He or she doesn't care about the truth. Or <laughs> I just want to put that out there. <laughs> This was a quote, all right? <laughs> he or she does not care about the truth or correcting an error. A slander creates error in order. Listen to what they say. This is crazy. A slander creates error in order to inflict harm. Proverbs 10, 18 to 19. So you know this is not my opinion. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man spreads strife, a slanderer separates intimate friends. 1 Peter 2, 1, therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Third one, judgment. Gossip, slander, judgment. This is their quote. A judgmental person has an excessively critical point of view, characterized by a tendency to judge harshly. They lack empathy for others viewpoint because they believe that their point of view is the right one. They believe that they have the ability to know others' motives. They have the amazing skill to point out others' mistakes while minimizing their own. Matthew 7, 1, 2, do not judge so that you will not be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. James two thirteen. for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Are we here in the Bible this morning, church? Fourth, fourth behavior of a critical spirit, complaint. <laughs> this is an equal opportunity offensive message. 
Complaint. <laughs> a complainer, this is their definition, is a person who, who is habitually negative about others and circumstances of life. They are characterized by discontentment and ingratitude. James 5, 9, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. As if Jesus is actually watching what we're complaining about. Philippians 2, 12 through 16, therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. A lot of Bible this morning because I want you to hear that I'm not, I'm not giving you my opinion. I, I need us to hear scripture this morning. And the last one, this one is one that I added to it, comparison. I actually think that comparison is an issue of a critical spirit. And I've seen so much of this and it's becoming a force to be reckoned with in our current culture and generation. Critical comparison engages in the devaluing of one thing in order to bring value to another thing. It is a systematic approach to leveling judgment upon something or someone in order to soften an eternal angst or dis disposition of discontentment. That's comparison. Watch what happens in John 21, 20 through 23. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. That's John talking about himself. <laughs> Some of you are getting that now. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple that Jesus loved following, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about him? And this is what Jesus says. If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is it to you? As for you, follow me. In other words, in the Jason Parrish standard version of the Bible, don't worry about him. You do you, boo-boo. Come on, can I get an amen in church this morning? <laughs> you do you. Jesus said, he said, Peter, don't worry about yourself. Don't worry about all that other stuff. You worry about yourself. This is because when we start worrying about everyone else, we quickly find ourselves operating out of a critical spirit. So how do we overcome? This is what I wanted to get to. Wow, we moved through that quick. Yes. Okay, four more points. Here we go. So how do we overcome the critical spirit that can so easily lie within all of us? I want us to take a moment this morning to realize that if we're really honest, I think we all can have this operating in our lives at one moment or another. Okay, and it's not just your mouth. It counts as your fingers now. Critical, critique. Critique, 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 critique. Bomb, 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 bomb. Mouth, fingers, disposition. How do we overcome the critical spirit that can lie within each of us? So for the remainder of our time together, I want to look at, look at a few of these antidotes that, that enable us to overcome a critical spirit. Need your help? Everybody shout number one. First thing is this, is we have to create a cadence of commitment in our lives. We have to create a cadence of commitment in our lives. Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Again, you've heard that it was said to your ancestors, you must not break your oath, 
but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne or by earth because it's his footstool or by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. I've come to find, here it goes, I've come to find that those who are usually the least committed tend to be the most critical. <laughs> usually those who are the least committed tend to be the most critics. Let me push it a little bit further. Critics tend to walk out on what God is wanting them to stay put in. And commitment is one of the greatest antidotes to a critical spirit that there is. Why? Because we tend to not critique what we are actively a part of. See, it's easy to level a critical view against something or someone that we don't actively participate in. But when we are engaged in something, it's a whole lot harder to be critical of it. See, when I'm engaged in my marriage in such a way that I want to see it succeed, I want it, to see, I want it to be the best that it can be, I don't level critique against it anymore. Why? Because I'm actively participating. Because when I critique it, I'm being critical of myself. When I'm being critical of something, I'm being critical towards myself. So I have a tendency not to be critical. I want to construct. I want to build. I want to work in it. We have to create a cadence of commitment in our lives. I like sports, but not a ton. I like football season, but not to the degree that many of us in here like football season. But there is one thing about people who watch professional athletes that I will never be, I'll never be able to get over. Couch critics. <laughs> Couch critics. Now, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, and we know the debacle. Some of you know the debacle that happened a few years ago in the Patriots-Seattle Seahawks game. But here's, here's what I realized. It was amazing to me that while there was a mistake that happened somewhere along the way, those of us who did not step a foot onto the field, <laughs> did not practice a day in our lives, looked over the bowl of our Cheetos and decided that our critique somehow meant something. But that's what we do. We're not committed to something, yet we feel like it's our necessary job to level criticism against somebody, to level criticism against something. Couch critics. We're not even in the stadium and we're making calls and observations as to how things should go <laughs> and how to actually play the game at a level that people like us don't really play. We have to ask ourselves a question next time we find ourselves being critical about something or someone? Am I being critical <laughs> from the comfort of my couch? And I wanna say this as strong as I can as your pastor this morning. If so, there is no weight, authority, or power to what we are saying. I love you, church. Forgiveness next week. <laughs> I've had people say, man, Jason, that was, I don't know if you got the point across in that message. I don't know if 
if you studied that appropriately, did you know this, 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 and this? And I'm like, sir, I spend 15 to 20 hours a week prepping messages. I've been doing so for the past 12 to 15 years of my life. You haven't preached one. So we gotta be careful of our critique because you don't know the battle that I go through week in and week out to stand up here in front of a bunch of people that have a bunch of different perspectives coming from a bunch of different backgrounds that have the ability to process through things. Am I gonna hit it out of the park every time? Absolutely not. There might be a base hit one day, two days, a couple weeks in a row, but can I tell you what? I'm still getting up to swing the bat. Still getting up to swing the bat. I say that point because we've got to be careful of our, of our critique. Man, the worship. Oh, man, the worship. They, they just couldn't hit those notes today. <laughs> Pastor Justin seemed like he was off. He kept on strumming it weird. I don't know. And, and the, sound, the sound was off, and it was a little loud. And the drummer, man, I don't know what he's on, but he was going. He was just going too nuts for my ears today. Did you know that our drummer... And our worship pastor and so many people on the team are literally pouring their blood, sweat, and tears over these lists and their practices and their things. And we can stand there sometimes. That was a two-star performance today. Here's the deal. No one's performing up here. It's not a performance. Just because there's lights and a big screen and things like that does not make it a performance. Because you know what? David was judged by his wife about his dancing before the ark of the Lord that she said it was a performance. You were looking all kinds of crazy up there. You were drawing people to yourself. And David's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. My dancing and singing and praising God was not a performance. I was showing people my unadulterated love for God. So here's what I say, get committed. Because when you're committed, it changes what you say. Which brings us to the second one, every shot number two. We have to refresh our frame of focus. Philippians 4, 8 through 9, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell on these, dwell, d-d-d-d-dwell on these things. Do what you've learned and received and heard from me, seen me in the God of peace. The God of peace. Is it possible that we don't have peace because we're critical? Because we take on everything that we're, that we're not supposed to in order to level our judgments against it, so our, our perspectives against it, and our this against it and everything like that. And God says, no, no, no. If there's gonna be peace in our lives, Focus on true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, moral excellence of anything praiseworthy. Dwell on these things. Let me throw another one out. A critical spirit is often the product of an inaccurate and rebellious thought life. Critical spirit is only satisfied by the tearing down and destruction of something or someone that it's aimed at. We usually justify this behavior by saying things like this. I'm just keeping it real. Someone has to tell the truth and shame the devil. I'm just saying what everyone is thinking. Well, how did you know what everyone's thinking? 
That just brings us back to gossip. Just a, it's a little connective tissue right there. So here's this. Listen, just because you think something doesn't mean it should be said or communicated. There's a lot of things I don't say. A lot that I don't tweet back at. A lot that I don't Facebook for. A lot that I don't give instant messages back to. There's a lot that goes on in this head of mine. And so little of that comes out of my mouth. There's a lot, if I'm honest, that my wife wants to say to me when we're not doing good or I wanna say to her when we're not doing good. We've literally had a stare down in my house. We're like this, staring at each other. Mouths just getting ready to unleash fury. I just want to say this right now. I just want to say this right now. I just want to say this, but you... What I've come to find is when the mouth opens and I'm sorry, forgive me, comes out, doesn't matter what her opinion was or what my opinion was, we have this thing called reconciliation that then takes place. My son is an eternal optimist. I love the way that he thinks and sees things. He's always focusing on the good that can be seen and found. So Shiloh yesterday, Saturday morning, she throws up two times when she gets up, out of, out of the blue. She's like, Dad, I don't feel good. I got something in my throat. I was like, okay. And then, bleh, throws up. I was like, is it a hairball? Are we dealing with, like, what? <laughs> That's what cats do. <laughs> yes. And so... And then she came back, she came back and, and she said, Dad, I gotta throw up again. And so, so I went in there and I was holding her hair and everything like that. And, and we were having a moment. So I come out and uh, I come out and Justice goes, hey, Dad, is Shiloh okay? And I was like, I don't know, buddy. It's, uh, I, don't, I don't know if she's doing too good. She's, she's not feeling the best. And he's like, man, this is what he said. We were getting ready to go to City Creek to go play on the dinosaurs. And he's like, he's like, well, I understand if we need to stay home, but I really hope that Shiloh gets to play on the dinosaurs today. I know. I'm like, whose kid is this? <laughs> and so I realized something. He's this, he's this eternal optimist. He, he, he's always seeing the good. And then I've discovered something about myself. I used to be the same way. And then a little thing called maturity happened. Hear that statement. We think our ability to be critical is because we've matured. I'd actually argue that maturity has made us more critical when we were supposed to be like children the way that Jesus said to come to him with childlike faith, seeing things differently. Man, when I get in worship like this this morning, I lift my hands not because every situation is good and because I have perfect life happening or anything like that. I lift my hands because out of childlike faith, no matter what is going on in my life, I'm going to worship Jesus all the same. Right, I gotta reframe my focus. I don't care that the world is dealing with the stuff that the world is dealing with. God is bigger, he's been bigger than that since the beginning of time. We gotta realize that sometimes. And I know we've got our political statements and our opinions and our thoughts and everything like that. But come on, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we have to realize that the guy who put it all together literally makes the earth swing on its axis and relative course to everything that else is happening by his word. 
By his word, he does all that. He is above all things. He is working in all things. He's going to work through all things, no matter how bad the situation is. Reframe it. Look at it differently. What is pure and joyful and good, look at it. See it. Marriages, if you're struggling, see the good in her. See the good in him. Speak to the good, and I guarantee you God will change things. Guarantee you God will change things. I've seen it happen. Some of the worst situations. There is not a, there's not a thing that could be said to me now as a pastor that, that freaks me out. You can step into my office and you can throw all kinds of life stuff out and I'd be like, yeah, it's about par for the course. And I've heard some doozies. But I've also seen God's faithfulness in all of it. So here's what I want us to hear with this. What's the framework of our focus? Because here's the deal. The dwelling place of your mind will determine the direction of your life. Where your mind dwells, your life will go. Number three, shot number three. Am I speaking to anybody yet this morning? We have to learn to differentiate between desire and design. We have to learn to differentiate between desire and design. I'll explain that. For God's wrath, Romans 1, 18 through 23, is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their own, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power, divine nature, has been clearly seen since the creation of the world, the design of the world being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him uh, as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images reserving reserving mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Have you ever tried to build something before like Ikea (laughs) and lost your salvation? (laughs) Right? I'm like, the Swedes have no idea what they're doing to us over here. So my, my wife laughs at me because this is my disposition, okay? This is where I, I have a tendency, I have a hard time differentiate between desire and design because here's the deal. When I build Ikea furniture, I'm building it and I'm putting it together and then I utter these words and maybe you've said the same thing. It should just do what I want it to do. Right? What are all these 15 different screws that I have over here? Why can't you just do what I want you to do? And then here's what I've realized. There's a difference between my desire for it to do something and its actual design. And when I'm leveling criticism against something, it's usually because I desire it to be a certain way versus understanding what it's designed to do. Is it possible that we get so frustrated with God and level our critique against him because we have a certain desire as to how he should do things, but he has a different design? (laughs) Am I I talking to anybody? That's why we get so frustrated. Is it possible we get frustrated at the church because we have a certain desire? Uh Uh-oh, now I'm a metal, right? We have a certain desire of the way that it should be, but we don't clearly understand its design. And so we have a critical Spirit. I found that when I understand the design of something, it helps me refrain from being critical about it. 
Have you ever noticed that our greatest critique comes simply because we don't understand the design of something? So we're in turn frustrated and angry about it. And I think this is probably one of the most prevalent issues that the church faces. Because we have a certain desire as to how things should be, how it should go. As opposed to understanding the design of it. And number four, come on over, shout number four. This one's going to feel the, probably the hardest for many of us in this room. And I say that without trying to preface it in such a hard way, but if you've been a Christ follower for any amount of time, this one's probably going to strike a chord with you because when I wrote this down, it struck a chord with me. It's the same thing that puts me on my knees before God. And the fourth one is this. We have to fight against familiarity. Mark 6, 1 through 6. Probably one of the most devastating scriptures you can read concerning Jesus. He left there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished. Listen, listen to how this language plays out. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? So you would think that would be good enough. But watch what happens. But isn't this the carpenter? The son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. And then Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and his household. And so because of that, he was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief he was going around the villages teaching. It has shocked me to discover that when I become so familiar with something or someone is when the critical spirit within me tends to rear its ugly head. And I think this is one of the greatest issues when it comes to our marriages, our relationships, our churches, and even our personal relationship with God. We've become so familiar that we don't realize what's happening. See, I've been doing services like this, church like this for many years. I've been following Jesus for many years, pastoring for many years. And one of my greatest fears is to become familiar with Jesus. One of my greatest fears is to become familiar with his presence. One of my greatest fears is to become familiar with his church, that in doing so, I become critical of it. See, Jesus was very clear as to the gift that he was going to give us, the Holy Spirit and the thing that he was going to build, his church. And it breaks my heart when I hear Christians leveling their critique against the very thing that Jesus said he would give and he would build. It's like the very thing we used to love about church and our relationship with God all of a sudden becomes the thing we're now dissatisfied with and critical of. And it's not because it's changed, but because we have become familiar with it. And in our familiarity, we become critical of it. See, Jesus was not able to perform miracles due to the critical spirit that was present in his hometown. Hear me, church, when I say this. Is it possible that we no longer experience God the way that we used to, not because he is distant, but because we have become familiar? Maybe we say things like this, the worship, it's just a show now. The message, it's not deep enough now. The people around here are clicky. They just want my money. 
Familiar, familiar, critical. Man, she just doesn't love me anymore. He just doesn't care about me anymore. She's no longer attractive to me anymore. He's no longer attractive to me anymore. I no longer feel anything anymore. See, our familiarity is the setup for not experiencing what it is that we're actually longing for. And I pray that we can be a church that never grows familiar with the presence of God. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I pray that we become a church and we continue to be a church that doesn't become familiar with, with worship that leads us before Jesus. I pray that no matter how hard things can get as we read scripture and how difficult it can be to assess some of these things, I pray that we don't become a people that negate what the Bible is teaching us and what it is that we're dealing with because we become so familiar with it. I pray that we don't reject community because we become so familiar with it. Familiarity. It killed the cat. Actually, curiosity did, but I just changed it, so. (laughs) Just putting it out there. Let me illustrate it this way and we'll close. I've been in my house for a while now. Almost two years, going on two years, this house that we have in Sandy over here. And the other night, I got up, did you guys feel the earthquake the other night? So some of you did, some of you didn't. You're the heavy sleepers in the house. And uh, so I got up, I felt this earthquake, it sounded like something hit our house. I thought a truck hit our house. So I got up and, uh, and instead of turning on lights, I went running through the house. And here's, the, here's the, literally the split second thought that went through my head as I was running through the house. I was like, this is awesome. I can do this because I know my house so well. And I kid you not, the sooner I had that thought go through my head, I ran into the wall. <laughs> BAP! Just took me out. And I was like, this is what I said. I was like, I was so mad, right? I'm just running around in shorts. I'm trying to find my children downstairs because the greatest earthquake since 1902 just happened in my house, right? This is the process in my head. And I I turn around as I'm walking downstairs. I was like, stupid wall! (laughs) As if the wall had somehow appeared there all of a sudden. It had been there all along. I just forgot it was there. Because I got too familiar with it. See, the presence of God has been in your life all along. (laughs) We just forgot it was there because we've gotten too familiar with it. The word of God has been there all along, but we just got too familiar with it, so it doesn't have the same sting as it, as it used to have. She's been there all along. You've just gotten familiar with her. He's been there all along, but you've just gotten familiar with him. Jesus has been in the middle of it all along, and we just got familiar with it. So today, as we stand to our feet, Let us lift our hands to Jesus right now. Come on, in this moment. God, we stand before you today and we repent. We say we're sorry for being critical. Wherever we fall on the spectrum of this, wherever these points apply in our lives, God, I pray that you would give us new eyes to see, new ears to hear, 
God, that you would renew our mind and you would soften our heart so that we would be the type of people that run, that run into everything that you have for us. And so we surrender once again our opinions, our preferences, our stuff and our things, our frustrations, our critiques. We surrender it to you and we say, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.